Well, as we've started a new uh, semester, new year here at Heritage, uh, the heart that we've had as we launch our chapels is to make sure we're headed in the right direction as individuals, as an institution, as followers of Jesus. We want to be going in the right direction with the right priorities. So last week, I launched us by talking about how do you make sure you're going in the way that Jesus says is the way you should go? How do you keep the main thing the main thing? And if you were here, you know, we looked at a passage, Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus talks about what the main thing is. And the main thing is living now in light of then. It's living for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. For he said, seek you first the kingdom. So I said last week, the main thing is to keep the kingdom of God and his righteousness the main thing. Now, if you're going to do that this year, if you're going to live now in light of what's coming, if you're going to live for Jesus' approval by his priorities, you're going to need his help. Like, there's many things that are going to pull you off the right direction. There are many issues, many challenges. You're going to need the help of God, which means you're going to need to pray. So this morning, what I want to do is to talk to you about prayer, because if you want to live by priorities, you're going to need to pray to get God's help to live by His priorities. And let me tell you a couple things that I've assumed as I've been preparing for this talk to you about prayer. Here's a couple things. we got two assumptions today that I'm coming in with. I'm assuming that those of you here today at Heritage, you would already say in your heart, prayer's a good thing. Like, I'm assuming I already have you on board on that one. You'd say prayer's a good thing. Talking to God, being able to speak to the creator of the universe who is also through Christ, my Father in heaven, that's a really good thing. So that's assumption number one. Prayer's a good thing. Here's my second assumption. You'd say prayer is good, but I'm not so good at prayer. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that many of you here today would say, you know what, I would like to be better than I am when it comes to praying. I'd like to be more faithful. I'd like to be more fervent. Sometimes my prayers seem rather meager, somewhat mechanical. Sometimes they feel kind of lame. I don't always feel like I'm praying in the way that I really would like to pray. Prayer's good, but I'm not always so good at prayer. Now, if that's you, if you believe prayer is a good thing but would say, I'd really like to grow in the area of prayer, I've got some good news for you, and that is you and I can change. We can grow. We can get better at this, and I know that because that's the story of Jesus' first disciples. If you read through the Gospels, you find out they started out pretty lousy at prayer. They weren't really good at it. In fact, in one moment we'll look at today, they fall asleep when they're supposed to be praying, right? It's a kind of a epic moment, well-known. There they are snoozing when they should be praying. They didn't always feel real competent in prayer. Luke chapter 11 tells us they come to Jesus and says, Jesus, could, could you like um, teach us to pray the way John taught his disciples to pray? So they, they understood there was more to grow. But as you read through the New Testament, you find that these disciples became folks who knew how to pray. And today I want to take you to a passage that I think was like a turning point in helping them move from being kind of poor at prayer to becoming persevering and even having a priority for prayer. And as we do, I want to teach you something today that has been actually revolutionary for me in the area of prayer. It's a practical thing that I use almost every day. It comes right out of the New Testament. And if you want to get better at prayer, today we're going to see from the disciples' story and Jesus' words how you can do that. That's where we're headed today. I want to talk to you about praying Jesus' way. And to do that, I want to invite you to join me in Luke chapter 22. So would you take a Bible 
And uh, join me in Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to start. And I want to talk to you about praying Jesus' way. And don't you think before I preach on prayer, it'd be a good idea to pray? So uh, why, don't, why don't we do that? Let's ask the Lord for his help. Lord, it is one of the joys of my life to be a part of this chapel service where we lift our praises to you and where we gather as brothers and sisters in Christ, children of God. That's what we are. That's who you say we are. And we gather to thank you. We gather to worship you. But we also gather to be shaped by you and by your word. And I'm asking that today you would help me to be faithful to your word, true to its intent and its meaning, but also its passion and its power. And I ask that you would teach us how to pray. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 22, we're going to pick it up in verse 14, which is when the disciples gather with Jesus for what we call the Last Supper, the Passover. Look at Luke 22, verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus knows what's going to go down that night. He knows he's headed for the cross, and he says to his disciples, I really look forward to this time. I've been wanting to have this meal with you. After they have the meal where he takes the cup and he takes the bread, after that, he has some really sobering words for one of his disciples, for Peter. Look at verse 31. Jesus says, this is in the context of that same meal, he says, Simon, Simon, Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, Peter hears that, but Peter's not feeling really vulnerable at this moment. He's not really worried. In fact, look what he says in verse 33. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. So Jesus says, look, Satan's after you, Peter. And Peter says, listen, Jesus, you can count on me. I'm with you. I'm ready to go to prison if that's what it takes, and I'm ready to go to death if that's what it takes. And then you know what Jesus says next, right? He says, Peter, I tell you the truth, that before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. So that's unsettling for everyone. And after that, they get up and they leave that upper room and they make their way to a garden kind of a grove of olive trees on the hills outside of Jerusalem, the Garden of Gethsemane. And when they get there, Jesus is agitated. He, he's, he's troubled. And so he says to them in verse 40, he says, And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. So something's going on. He's just told Peter, Peter, it's danger zone. He gets them all there at the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, Listen, listen, listen up. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Then he withdraws from them about a stone's throw. He kneels down and he prays. And look at what verse 44 says. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I mean, Jesus is praying so much. He is so agitated. It says his sweat is like great drops of blood falling to the ground. So he gets up after praying. He comes back to the disciples, and here's the sad part, right? He finds them sleeping, verse 45. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? 
Rise and pray, he says it again now, that you may not enter into temptation. So twice he says that. They kind of groggily wake up, and as Jesus is speaking, they start to hear some people coming. This is usually a quiet spot, not a lot of foot traffic, but suddenly they see torches, they hear people, and they look out, and there's a crowd coming, and Judas, one of their number, is leading the crowd. And the crowd is filled with folks who have swords and clubs. They're from the high priest, and they're coming to arrest Jesus. And you know what goes down next. Peter kind of makes a valiant move, takes a sword, swings it at somebody, and Jesus says, no, no, that's, that's enough. And then the disciples, they, they break and they run. Jesus is arrested. He's taken into the courtyard of the high priest. Peter follows at a distance. He sits down by a charcoal fire kind of to see what's happening, and a little servant girl comes up and says, hey, like, weren't you one of those guys that was with Jesus? Peter says, woman, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know that. And then someone else comes, and someone else comes, and before you know it, Peter has denied Jesus three times, and just then, he hears a rooster crowing. In fact, verse 60 and 61 tells us that Jesus makes eye contact with Peter. Somehow, Jesus is being moved through the same area. He turns and looks at Peter, and the text says, Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, how he'd said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter goes out and he weeps bitterly. He's wrecked by that. And Peter learns a hard lesson about prayer that night. The lesson would be this. If you're sleeping when you should be praying, you'll be falling when you should be standing. If you're sleeping when you should be praying, you'll be falling when you should be standing. Now you say, well, why don't you... Why was it that they didn't pray? I mean, Jesus was pretty insistent. Pray. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus tells us to pray. So why didn't they pray? Why don't we pray? Why is it hard for us to do this? Well, I think in the story that I've just recounted to you, we find some of the reasons it's hard to pray. Let me give you three that come out from their story. See if they don't find some echo in your experience. Why didn't they pray? Why don't we pray? Here's the first one. We get overconfident. That was true for Peter, right? Jesus says, Peter, Satan's after you. And, and, and Peter says, Jesus, don't worry about me. I got your back. I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to go to death. He's confident that he can do it. And when we're confident in ourselves, we don't tend to be dependent upon God. I heard of a young man who went to a pastor to ask for advice about his future. And he said, what do you think I ought to do? And he's, he's kind of laying out these different things he's considering, and the pastor asked him a question. He said, have you prayed a lot about this? And the young guy goes, well, I can't say I really have. And the pastor said, well, let me tell you what your problem is. It's pride. And the guy kind of blanched and said, well, I, I suppose I struggle with pride. I didn't really think I was a real proud person. And the pastor said, well, listen, if you're not praying about these things, then you're obviously assuming you got the capacity to figure out and pull it off. And we get that way. We get overconfident. I have this. I can do this. So we get overconfident. The second one is we get overtired. Did you notice that when verse 45, when the disciples are asked to pray, it says that they fall asleep. When you think about it, they're just human like we are. Have you ever found that? Have you ever tried to pray and and fallen asleep in the middle of your own prayer? I've done that. Uh, Linda and I usually close the night praying together. And over the years, there have been times when I started a prayer 
and the next day found out I didn't finish that prayer. So, uh, so sometimes, like, we get overtired, and, and we're human, and, you know, Jesus knows that we're just flesh and bone, and that we're just dust. So we get overconfident, we get overtired. But another one that comes out of this text is that we get overwhelmed. Verse 45 says something that I find somewhat intriguing. It says, and when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. Do you see that? Sleeping for sorrow. In other words, one of the reasons they're exhausted is they're emotionally exhausted. It had been a wrenching time. It had been filled with highs. Think of the triumphal entry. It had been filled with lows. Think of what happened up at the uh, upper room when Jesus is saying, you're all going to desert me. One of you is going to betray me. You're all going to deny me. I mean, it's, there's been a lot going on in their souls. And sometimes when we have a lot going on in our souls, we kind of shut down. We get overload and we just get overwhelmed. But what's interesting, brothers and sisters, is this. None of those excuses hold currency with Jesus. Because when he comes back to them, after he finds them sleeping, he doesn't say, well, listen, listen, you poor folks, it's been a rough week for you all. I know I said pray, but maybe another day. He doesn't do that. In fact, verse 46, when he comes back, he repeats what he told them in verse 40. He says, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus cuts them no quarter on this one. He calls them to pray. So why is it so important that we pray? Well, I think in this passage, you find at least three of the reasons why Jesus is so insistent that they pray and why the Scripture is so insistent that you and I pray. Let me give you the three reasons that I see. First one out of this text is Satan is attacking. Verse 31 Jesus said to Simon, 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 behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Peter's not aware of it, but Satan is after him. See, Satan is not a gentleman. He doesn't fight fair. He takes advantage of every weakness. If you're tired, that's great. He'll use that as a weakness against you. If you're overwhelmed, that's great. He'll use that as a weakness against you. And Satan is attacking. Peter's oblivious. Just because Peter is unaware of it doesn't mean he's not under attack. And Jesus knows that. He says, you know why you need to pray, Peter? Satan is attacking. Here's a second one. Jesus says, you need to pray because trouble is coming. If you look at verse 36, in the middle of this whole discussion, Jesus says something to them that catches our attention. Look at verse 36 of chapter 22. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his clo cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. In other words, in the middle of this discussion, Jesus says, hey, when I sent you out before, I, I told you to go out with no knapsack, no extra pair of sandals, just go out. Rely on the goodwill of the people that you go visit. But now I'm telling you this, you're going to need a knapsack. You're going to need a money bag. You're going to need some sandal. In fact, if you don't have a sword, you better get one. Now in the garden, we find out that Jesus actually wasn't really looking for them to start wielding the sword. When Peter swings the sword, cuts off the right ear of the high priest's servant, Jesus says, put the sword away. So what does he mean when he says, if you don't have a sword, you should buy one? Think what he's saying is this, things are going to get a whole lot harder for you folks. 
things are going to get a whole lot more dangerous for you. The climate is changing. See, Satan is attacking, trouble is coming, and here's the third one. Temptation is strong. When Jesus asked them to pray, verse 40, he says something that I want you to see. Look at verse 40. And when he came to the place, he said to them, catch it, watch it closely here. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then when he wakes them up, verse 46, he says the exact same thing. Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. He kind of pictures temptation as a trap that you can fall into. Like you don't see it coming, but you're walking, and he says if you're not praying, you're more prone to fall into temptation. Temptation is like something that has a magnetic pull, and if you're not careful, it's going to pull you in. So why do you need to pray? Why did they need to pray? Satan's attacking, trouble is coming, temptation is strong. Now, you can hear all of that and go, okay, I get it. I get that I need to pray. I also know that like the disciples, sometimes I'm sleeping when I should be praying, and I find myself falling when I should be standing. How do I actually get better at this? How do I actually do this in the way that Jesus wants? You might say, I feel a little bit stuck. I know I'm not where I would like to be, but how do I even get there? What's fascinating is that I think Jesus reminds the disciples of something he had already taught them about prayer that they had forgotten that he wants to trigger in their memories because that's how they needed to get to where he wanted them to be. He reminds them about how he had coached them about prayer. In verse 40 where he says, pray that you may not enter in temptation. Verse 46, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Can you think of a place in the New Testament where Jesus teaches disciples to pray and he talks about not falling into temptation? Yeah, it's the Lord's Prayer, right? In fact, turn back a few pages to Luke 11. In Luke 11, verse 1, it says, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught the disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, and then he gives them what we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he goes on. Look at the last phrase in the Lord's Prayer. It's in verse 4. And lead us not into what? Temptation. Like he had already coached them up on what to pray. And part of what he told them to do is pray that you don't fall into temptation. Now in Luke 22, when they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, he reminds them. He says, hey, remember, you need to pray, and one of the reasons you need to pray is that you may not fall into temptation. So, here's where I'm going to go with this. How do you get better at praying? How do you actually do this? You do what Jesus says, and you pray in the way Jesus says to pray. Did you notice that in Luke 11, verse 2? Jesus says, and when you pray, say... Now, we're more familiar with Matthew's version or Matthew's rendering of the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6. And listen to this. Matthew chapter 6 verse 10 says this. Jesus says, pray then like this. And then he gives them the Lord's Prayer. Now, most of us know the Lord's Prayer. Probably you know it by heart. In fact, let's say it together. I bet you can say it. Our Father who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus coached his disciples and says, when you pray, that's how you pray. You want to get better in prayer? That, he said, pray like this. Now, here's a question for you. Do you think that Jesus wants us to just verbally recite the Lord's Prayer every time we pray? Because he said, pray like this, gave him the Lord's Prayer. So maybe the way we should get better at prayer is just say the Lord's Prayer over and over more and more. What do you think? Well, I would say I don't think so for at least two reasons. One, you read through the rest of the New Testament, you never find anyone praying the Lord's Prayer verbatim. Like you read Paul's prayers, he doesn't just pray the Lord's Prayer it was written. So you never find a verbal photocopy of the Lord's Prayer in the rest of the New Testament. But here's the second reason. In Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus teaches this, right before he says, don't be like the pagans, like the Gentiles, who think they have to go through meaningless repetitions and multiply words when they pray. So Jesus is not a fan of us mindlessly just running through some words. So what does it mean when he says, when you pray, pray like this? Here's the answer that I've come to. He's saying, use this prayer as a template for your prayers. Use this prayer as a pattern for your prayers. See, the Lord's Prayer, as we have it, has six requests in it. And you could see it as six different topics, six themes. And I think Jesus is saying, when you pray, make sure you pray along these lines. Cover these themes. The first three of the requests relate to God's concerns. The last three relate to our concerns. Now, a number of years ago, when I first kind of was challenged by this, saying, like, do your prayers at all follow the Lord's prayer? Do they cover those topics? Not every prayer covers all six topics, but are you praying in a way that you're covering these six topics? I began to do that, and I've been kind of doing that now for many years. In fact, most mornings when I wake up, the first thing I do is pray through the Lord's prayer. Because here's what happens. If you don't have the Lord's prayer as your template, then you'll come up with your own. And often we pray down the same ruts over and over, and we have the same things over and over. The Lord's Prayer actually, I believe, covers every possible request you could ever pray about. So what I want to do in our last 10 or 15 minutes is this. I want to take you through the Lord's Prayer and show you how it can be a template for your prayers so that if you want to grow in the area of prayer, you can pray Jesus' way, that this can actually be a help for each of us. So let's do it. We're going to divide it. The next slide shows you the first three requests relate to God's concerns. They all relate to God. They kind of go vertical, okay? And they relate to God's praise, God's kingdom, and God's will. So let me show you how this works, how I think it, I understand it, and how I seek to apply it, and then challenge you to come up with a way to do it as well. First prayer is God's praise, because the first theme is our Father who is in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. We don't use the word hallowed a lot, do we? 
But you know what it means. Holy is your name. Speaks of the fact that God's name is above all names. It should be honored and revered. It's the idea of God's praise, his greatness, his glory. So I think what Jesus is saying is when you pray, make sure part of your prayers is affirming and applauding and appreciating who God is. You begin with some words of praise. Now, not every prayer begins exactly in this template. You read through the Psalms, and sometimes they just begin by saying, God, life is terrible right now. You know, So not every prayer finishes, begins this way. But today, Andrew read for us Psalm 103. Sure starts that way, doesn't it? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits who gives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. So the idea here is, hallowed be your name, is you start off, and a great way to start your prayers is I say, Lord, as I come before you, Father in heaven, I hallow your name, I praise your name. You can do that by sometimes opening up. You could read a psalm, or if you've memorized a psalm, you might just do Psalm 103. Lord, thank you that you forgive all my iniquities. Oh, I need that. Thank you that you remember that we are dust. Thank you that as far as the east is from the west, you've removed my sins from me. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for life. Thank you for letting me be at Heritage today. Thank you for the friends that I have. You, you begin to praise him and thank him. Lord, you are great. You are good. So sometimes you use a psalm to do that or scripture. Sometimes you, you can use a song. Um, if you're, especially if you're alone and you're not going to wake up your neighbors, you might just sing. And choose to sing a song of praise. Here's, a, here's one thing that especially those of you at Heritage should be doing. You can talk about God's praise by taking things that you're studying in your class, in your theology course, and turning theology into doxology. In other words, think about some of the concepts you've been going over and turn those into praise. God, you are great. We've been studying about, and then you turn that into your praise. And it doesn't, often when I do this in the morning, this doesn't go on for me for hours and hours, but I begin by maybe remembering something that I can praise God about. So God's praise. Second thing is God's kingdom. Because Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Last week, I talked to you about Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom. The kingdom is the rule and the reign of God. It's now and it's not yet. So we pray that God's kingdom would come. We pray that his kingdom would expand. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, here's some ways that you could pray about God's kingdom. You can pray for people who still need to enter God's kingdom. Here's where I often pray for people I know and love that don't yet know and love Jesus. Lord, you know my friend, and I'll list a name or two. Lord, you know this friend. Oh, I'd love to see them come to know Christ. I'd love them to be part of your kingdom. This is where you can pray for missionaries you know. Lord, today I pray for Joel and Becky over in the Philippines as they're training these Chinese PhD students to go back. And Lord, help them. Help them to be effective. Help them, Lord, with their own marriage and Joel's ankle as it's got hurt. You start praying for people you know and love that are serving the Lord around the world. You pray about his kingdom. So his praise, his kingdom. Third thing is his will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's a funny thing. You're going to pray that God gets his way. You go, well, doesn't God always get his way? Well, it's interesting. When we talk about God's will, 
Theologians sometimes talk about God's determined will and His desired will. God's determined will would include everything God has determined will happen. But the Bible also talks about God's desired will and makes it clear that what God desires doesn't always happen. For example, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, God is not willing that any should what? perish. Will some people perish? Yes. It's not His desired will that any perish, but some will. In fact, Jesus wants us to pray in a certain way. Does that mean we do? Well, no, not exactly. Jesus said, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Did everyone come to Jesus? Well, no. So here we pray that the things God desires would get done, that His will would be done. My wife, Linda, has a, a great way for me to remember this. She says, I have a will. My will is like a little W. Think of my will as a little W. And God has a will, and His will is like the big W. So I'm going to pray that my little W equals His big W. That what I want equals what He wants. Sometimes that's really easy to pray. Because if you're a Christian, God's giving you a new heart. And sometimes it's easy. You just blend your will to His will. Lord, that's what you want. That's what I want. But sometimes it's not going to feel like that. Sometimes you actually have to bend your will to His will. In the garden, when Jesus prays, Luke 22, Jesus says this, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And sometimes in your prayers, you're going to have to say, Lord, you know how I want this to happen. I don't think this is what you're having for me, so I bend my will to your will. I want your will to be done. So I pray about God's praise, God's kingdom, God's will. The last three requests deal with kind of our needs, our realities. If you look on the screen here, I've, I've, I've phrased them this way. We pray about our needs, our forgiveness, and our protection. Pray about our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. What do you think qualifies as daily bread? Kind of like anything you need, right? I mean, daily bread kind of stands for what do I need in life? There is nothing too small for you to pray about. Lord, I pray you'll help me get this paper done. Lord, I pray for tuition money. Lord, I pray for a friendship right now that's not going so well, that you would help me to know what to do. I pray for my relationship with my mom. I pray for, and you start praying for the things that are on your heart. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. So whatever is on your heart, you bring it to the Lord. There's nothing too big, too small. And by the way, you don't just pray for yourself because it says, give us this day. Here's where you can pray for anyone else who has needs. Who's on your heart that you care about that's going through a hard time? Pray for them. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayers and supplications, praying for all the saints. So whoever comes to your heart and mind, pray for them. You pray for your needs. Now, question for you, theologically. Does God need you to inform Him on what your needs are? No, it says in Scripture, God knows what you need before you ask. So why do you think Jesus says, I want you to pray about your daily bread? If you think about it for a moment, you'll figure it out. It's because when you pray about your needs, you move closer to God, and closeness to God is your biggest need. And it's actually your needs that squeeze you closer to Him. 
you never had a need for God, you would just kind of skate through life going, yeah, I got this. But suddenly needs come up and you say, Lord, I need you. I need you. And those needs are the things that help us draw closer to him and actually in some ways are a huge blessing to us. So we pray about our needs. We pray about our forgiveness. And forgive us our trespasses, our debts, our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. How often do you need daily bread? How often do you need forgiveness? Daily. Maybe hourly. Maybe minute by minute, right? Some moments it's like, Lord, I know I was just here asking for forgiveness. I'm back. (laughs) And you know what? He says, come. You pray about that. You you fell down. You know, you scuffed up your, your soul again. You got it sullied and dirtied. You come and you say, Lord, I did it again. I hate it when I do this. My tongue got away from me and I said some things that I'm ashamed of. Would you forgive me? And the answer is yes. The cross is sufficient for that sin. Over and over. You you keep coming back. But get this. You not only pray about your sins, you pray about the sins that have been done to you by others. Lord, I not only need you to forgive me, I need you to help me forgive so-and-so. You remember when Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I got to forgive that jerk that hurts me? Seven times? And Jesus said, well, let's start with 70 times seven. Donald Whitney in one of his books says, I've never had to forgive any person in my life 490 times for 490 sins, but I have had to forgive the same person 490 490 90 times, 70 times for the same sin they've done to me because I keep thinking about it over and over and over. And I remember it and I say, Lord, I want to just say I forgive that. I know I've said this before, but it's back and I'm having a hard time letting go of it. So I'm praying that I can forgive. You're going to be doing that prayer daily. So you pray about your needs, you pray about forgiveness, and then as Jesus tried to get the disciples to know in the garden, you pray about protection. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, most of us only pray about temptation when it's too late. We we pray about temptation after we've been sucked into it. It's like, oh, I did it again. Jesus is saying, no, be more proactive. Pray that you wouldn't fall into it. So you pray, Lord, don't, don't let me get too close to temptation. Keep me away from it. But also, Lord, keep me from giving way to it. When I'm tempted, Lord, help me to remember who I am and who you are. Lord, keep me from the evil one. Keep me from temptation. Deliver me. When I was in California pastoring a church, there was a little little gaffer in our church, a little young guy who was just learning the Lord's Prayer, and he got it wrong, but he got it right. This is how he would say the last part of the Lord's Prayer. He said, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from ego. He got it wrong, and he got it right, right? Because that's what a lot of it is. Peter's going, I got this. And he said, no, 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 Peter, pray that you may not fall into temptation. I don't know if you regularly pray that God would keep you from temptation, that he would keep you from giving way to it, from wandering into it. Jesus says, you're going to need to be praying about that. Daily bread, daily forgiveness, daily protection. So, my challenge to you is this. You want to grow in your prayer life this semester, 
Well, Jesus says, here's how you should pray. And he gives you these six themes that as they become part of your prayers, maybe not every prayer covering all six themes, but as life becomes, goes along and you pray for these different themes at different parts in the day or you pray through it in the morning or in the evening, Jesus says you'll be praying about the things that matter to God and that are needful for you. So my challenge to you this semester is, would you learn to pray Jesus' way? Would you start to grow in that? In each of the prayer rooms, in the, the meeting room now and in this room, I've put on the chalkboard this little outline. God's praise, God's kingdom, God's will, our needs, our forgiveness, our protection. And I'm hoping that sometimes this semester when you slip into the prayer room, you'll see that on the wall and it'll just trigger. And you'll say, Lord, I want to pray about those themes. I'm hoping that as you wake up in the morning or as you go to sleep at night, or as you're driving in your car, those themes will come to you and you'll say, Lord, I just want to spend some time praying about your praise part right now. I'm going to focus on that one. Or Lord, right now I need to pray about some forgiveness issues because I'm really wrestling with that. See, I'm convinced that those themes cover every possible request you could possibly ever come up with in your life, and Jesus taught us to pray that way. So as you head into the new year, as you head into the new semester, seek first the kingdom of God, and ask for his help to do that by praying Jesus' way. Let's pray. Father, I pray for each of us here that you would allow this season of our life to be one in which we grow in our understanding of you and your word, but also in our appropriation, in our application of your word. And specifically, Lord, I would like to you to help me grow as a man who prays. I would like to you to help us grow as a community that prays, that we pray together, we pray individually, we pray when things are great, we pray when things are hard, and that we follow the teaching of our Lord Jesus, your Son, our Savior, and we pray in his way. And right now, I pray in his name. Amen. God bless.